0: Welcome back to another episode of Holy Ordinary. I'm your host, Laura Kelly, and this week we are going to be talking about spirituality and wilderness. So I titled this Spirituality and Wilderness, but I think maybe a better title is technically spirituality and nature, Um, but because of some certain religious overtones that uh, are involved in the word wilderness, I want to title it that because... As I've said before, this is a show about spirituality. So, um, the idea of wilderness sounds a little ominous and it might be making it sound more glorious than what we're actually talking about. Um, So, when you hear wilderness, you probably are thinking of the jungles of South America um, that grow at their leisure and there's tons of animals that could totally kill you at any moment. Um, Or maybe you're thinking, about something like the Sahara Desert, very barren and secluded. Or maybe you're not sure that you've ever really experienced the wilderness, but according to Google, wilderness is an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region. But then it's weird because the pictures right underneath that definition are of like a super pretty mountain sunset and the sun shining through some tree leaves and this wide mountain stream, and none of that seems inhospitable to me. Um, So, you know, it might appear a little contradictory, because I've definitely seen all of those scenes before, just walking outside or at a local park or something. But wilderness specifically uh, runs throughout the story depicted in scripture. The story about, um, that people might know the most about, is when Jesus retreats to the wilderness for 40 days after being baptized, and it is in that space and during that time that he's tempted by the devil three times. Um, he doesn't eat, and he still makes it out um, alive, obviously, to do go on to do uh, lots of years of ministry. And, um, another notable entry um, of the wilderness is in the Wilderness Wanderings, which are attested to in Numbers where the Israelites are said to have wandered for 40 years before entering the promised land. Uh, Also, Moses runs to the wilderness to escape after killing an Egyptian, and he fears getting caught, and also he's just very confused. There's a lot going on. Um, So he goes out and he's a sheep herder, but eventually he gets called by God during this wilderness escape. And later, God directs Moses to go on and lead the people from Egypt to the wilderness, despite there's a bunch of complaining and the wilderness is shown as being barren and inhospitable and God has to provide food for them. So the Israelites are very mad at God, mad at Moses during that time. They're like, well, we should just go back to Egypt. At least we could eat there. And it was, you know, nice and more comfortable than it is here, even though they were in slavery. So if you think that slavery is better than the wilderness, then I think that attests to what they thought the wilderness was like. Um, so wilderness has that depiction, but it's also depicted as a place of refuge and a place for dialogue between God and man. It's a place for hardship and vulnerability, but, you know, it can also be seen as a, as a, a helpful escape or a helpful um, place of communication. So it's interesting that even in the Bible, there's a place within this wilderness theme for refuge. And a separate place intended for suffering and difficulty to be highlighted. It's weird because when I think about the ancient world, I think about yeah, sure, there's cities, but in my mind, it's like everywhere you go, there surely was wilderness. I mean, they didn't have air conditioning or you know the the kind of concrete jungles that we have today. Um, So it seems to me like it wouldn't be that you would have to look very hard to find a place like this, but. It's very interesting that they actually, you know, make it very clear that this is a separate space, a space to highlight human vulnerability um, in a midst of time where leprosy and, you know, all these other diseases and hardships and tyrants and different things were constantly going on. It's like as if there wasn't enough human suffering being highlighted already. Um, But this kind of place does exist. Um, This place that highlights both refuge and refinement. But wilderness retreat is not common only to Judeo-Christianity. It's prevalent in Buddhism. Um, And in Buddhism, it's seen as the source of and teacher of wisdom. And that's like actually about not just nature, but straight up wilderness. Um, When one Zen master was asked, how do you turn mountains, rivers, and the great earth into the self? He replied, how do you turn the self into mountains, rivers, and the great earth? So while Buddhists would assert that you can grow spiritually anywhere, they see connection to the essence of the earth as key in growing. Another group that I would like to bring attention to is the relationship between Native Americans and the wilderness. So as I was doing research for this, I saw a bunch of articles that were saying, that were pushing for the idea that wilderness is harmful to indigenous peoples. And in my mind, I was like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, when you think about this is just growing up in the education system that we had. When people think about Native Americans, they tend to just think of, you know, living in the wilderness um, 200 years ago. But the reality is that Native Americans are prevalent to, I mean, they're, they're still people and they still live a life today that looks very different because of colonization. It looks very different than that picture that you conjure up in your mind. Um, but... I kind of got whiploshed when I was reading this because I was like, the Native Americans are a people of the land. But it's interesting because as I was reading these articles, um, it's it was talking about how wilderness was, the idea of wilderness was birthed as a preservation of a pristine environment where there's no interaction from mankind. But that's just not what Natives had going on. Um, they had controlled burns. They had cleared areas for the purposes of cultivation. They used flooding techniques to bring water to their peoples and their food. So it's not that, you know, in living amongst the land, the wilderness was not a pristine environment untouched by man. You know, they worked with the land and it's through these maintenance techniques that the beautiful environments the settlers came to were beautiful. That's why, um, There's a quote by Standing Bear of the Oglala Sioux tribe that said, we did not think of the great open plains, the beautiful rolling hills and the winding streams with tangled growth as wild only to the wild man was nature, a wilderness and the land infested with white animals with wild animals and savage people. So to these people, the wilderness was a gift and it wasn't necessarily wild. Um, the man known as Geronimo said that Arizona was a land created for the Apache. You know, the the land is not a separate essence, but it's a, a land made for this tribe, these people. Um, but interestingly, you know, then man comes in, settlers come in, lots of things happen. And eventually the Wilderness Act of 1964 comes around and it says wilderness is an area where earth and, you know, the, the life in that community are not touched by man, where man is a visitor and where he does not remain. Um, but a native perception of wilderness is not void of interaction with man. Yes, the land is to be honored and nurtured, and its resources are to be used, um, but they're used as a gift. It's meant to give life, and it is the embodiment of life. Um A man of the Blackfoot Indian nation, as he lay dying of starvation due to the slaughtering of buffalo that had come with the settlers, he said, what is life? It is the flash of a firefly in the night. It is the breath of a buffalo in the wintertime. It is the little shadow which runs across the grass and loses itself in the sunset. And I just, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that depicts the way that the natives interacted with and continued to interact with the land. Um, So going back to Judeo-Christianity, Judeo-Christians believe that they have dominion over the earth due to a passage in Genesis in which God gives Adam and Eve dominion over the animals. Um, But perhaps this idea formed in Genesis can be informed by this native idea of interaction with wilderness, responsible use, nurturing of the creation, because it teams with embodiment of life. So I guess the point of this, just I know that's been kind of a lot, but I guess the point of this is that wilderness has become a thing viewed as a pristine place that is void of human interaction. But I think that a better way of viewing wilderness is as seeing a responsibility um, of for humans to interact with this gift that we have, which is the land and which is all of the life that it contains. Um, The shift is not necessarily to preserve that which should be untouched, but it's to embrace the present of the essence of life that we have, which covers every part of this planet. So I know this might be a difficult idea to achieve because there's a much greater juxtaposition today between our concrete jungle cities and nature. But this is because nature has become void in those places. So I think in the future, maybe we should look towards embracing nature where it is rather than, okay, we're going to have a designated plot of land over here that we're just not going to touch, not going to do anything with, and then we're going to live over here. Like The point of preserving nature and um, all those things is to interact with it and to look to it as a guide and live with it. So I think we should look at embracing nature where it is or restoring its presence where it once was because, you know, as soon as we lose sight of where we came from and where we were formed, we lose sight of ourselves. So I would propose that the idea of wilderness as presented in the Bible is in accordance with this. I think we establish previously the idea of wilderness as a refuge and a place of refinement, a place where there's suffering and vulnerability highlighted, but also that's where you commune with God and that's where you see the glory. Um, So I think this imagery is used as a literary device, as a literary technique in the Bible. Um, You know, people withdrawing for the sake of upbuilding their their character and their um, disposition towards God. But it's also for the purpose of kind of being put in the fire, baptized by fire, if you will. Um, but isn't that how our lives kind of are? I think this is a reflection of how our lives are. Each day we are experiencing suffering or the effects of suffering. And each day we should be connecting with the force of life. So I really think that this wilderness imagery, while it's in, in these passages or perhaps in our minds, you know, we set it aside and be like, well, that's over there, but I'm over here. You know, if we're if we're gonna view wilderness as a place where we should be communing with God and also where human vulnerability is, that's called life. That's that's really what it is. Um, so each day we should be connecting to that. And so if we connect with wilderness, if we connect with nature, um, and we live intentionally with creation, as creation, we are continually connecting with the spiritual reality and continually co- connecting with God. So that's kind of my two cents on the idea of wilderness and its connection to spirituality.
1: I have with me Dr. Rocky Nation, a professor of biology at Anderson University. And he's the author of a number of works about the connection between nature and spirituality. Um, He teaches specialized classes about this. Um, so Dr. Nation, I really want to start out by asking you, when did your connection between nature and spirituality begin?
2: Well, sure, it's great to be with you, Laura. I've been looking forward to this. I think I've known for a long time that being outdoors was good for me. Um, I grew up in an area where I had access to woods and I would go for long walks in the woods. Um Sometime around age 10, my older brother took me on a backpacking trip. He was working for a summer camp where he did that. And he took me away for just a night uh, up in Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina. And I just felt a little bit of a connection with with the woods and, and being outdoors. Um, fast forward to college I was getting my first taste of rigorous academics, and I was under, you know, some stress and new situations, and I just remember really feeling the need to get away, and I would find myself in the library staring out the window, looking at the woods, um, There was a place on the third floor of the library where I could see out to the mountains and actually see Table Rock and up into North Carolina and just feeling a strong need to get out there and that everything would be okay if I could just get out there. And that continued to play an important role throughout college and then into adulthood. It's just something that I've always sought out whenever I need to, to decompress and to get away. Um, I think one of the things that appealed to me in all of that was feeling a connection to something bigger than myself. And I I know that different people have different definitions of spirituality and it it comes with a a lot of different uh, facets But that one of the definitions for me is just connection and experience of something bigger than yourself. And I I felt that when I was outside. So that's been part of the appeal for me over the years.
1: So, um, going along with that, how would you say nature is connected to creating a more healthy spirituality?
2: Well, I think any. Time you want to connect spiritually, uh, whether it's with you know some entity bigger than yourself or uh for people of different faith traditions that might be God or the great spirit or or whatever, you really have to unclutter your mind. And with society what it is today, with our access to Device screens and constant connection <clears throat> to other people electronically, and time demands—it's—it's it's really hard to to get to that point um, with all of the mental clutter that we have. <clears throat> so, being able to get outdoors and and get away from all of that, I think is is one of the things that makes it valuable for those reasons
1: do you think it's fair to say that um the woods nature the wilderness can act as kind of a neutral zone to help diversify spirituality or you know unite different people of different denominations different beliefs like how do you see that working out especially in you know the political climate that we have today
2: yeah so i, I think there's a lot of truth in that if you do any reading of religious traditions and, and spiritual traditions, <clears throat> in different cultures, um, in experiencing the, I'm gonna call it the great other, um, just for lack of uh, a better term, but it, it seems to be pretty universal uh, when you look at different different cultures and traditions you see nature playing a pretty significant role, whether it's from the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, There's a a nature component, uh, obviously, to uh, Buddhism and Taoism. Uh, Native American spirituality was very centered on the natural world. Um, and then even some of the other traditions, Islam, there's a, a, an outdoor nature component to it. So it really just seems to be a, a universal thread running through this. Um, I, I try to stay away from cliches and uh, common metaphors, but it, it's a, a common thread running through this tapestry of spiritual experience from many different faiths and cultures. So uh, I I think that's one of the things that um, is is really intriguing about it is that people have experienced this in a lot of different contexts.
1: Yeah, I think something we've talked about before is the danger of nature becoming a commodity, especially for people of affluence. you know, the lack of diversity in nature, perhaps that's because of lack of access, because of a you know, you live in a city or, you know, lots of people think, oh, I don't have the right dry fit gear to go out. Um, so given, you know, the the role that nature can play in building that kind of diverse and healthy spirituality as a kind of unifying figure, what do you think the future might look like based on um like needing to integrate people of lower incomes or, you know, people who feel like they don't have everything else that you see in the wilderness magazines.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point. Um, first of all, I think it's important to uh, to talk about our relationship with nature and, and with wilderness as an idea. Um, our humans understanding of wilderness is obviously evolved over time. Uh, If you go back to ancient times, um, you know, wilderness was something to be tamed and it was dangerous and wild and it could kill you if you weren't careful. Um, You have the whole concept of a wilderness experience in Christian traditions. um, You know, when the Israelites were spending their time in the wilderness, it was not a pleasant place. It was, it was desert and, uh, very little food, very little water. Uh, so it became a a really formative experience and and place for, uh, that type of, of, um, spiritual formation over time. Uh, that attitude is gradually changed, but you, you still see that same type mentality with, um, Western cultures and and settling um, and establishing colonies. Uh, An example of that would be the frontier mentality in the founding of the United States and the manifest destiny moving west. Um, You know, people weren't moving west to experience nature and enlightenment, they were conquering and Uh, settling and and trying to tame everything so only relatively recently have we gotten to the point to where uh, nature and the natural world can be a resource for uh, things like spiritual formation and for um, stress management and things like that so I think that's an important point to make But the other thing that you mentioned is is also really important. There's a huge degree of privilege when it comes to having discussions like this. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've started to focus on recently is the the ability of of the natural world to serve a therapeutic purpose Mm -hmm. for stress and stress management and things like that. and we advocate for spending time outdoors hiking camping backpacking but there's a huge degree of privilege that comes with that because you know we hike and we camp because we want to but every night there are literally billions of people that are sleeping outdoors not because they want to but because they have to yeah and that's an important consideration and, and I, it, it's not lost on me um mm-hmm. and anytime time i'm trying to advocate for this with people uh, i think it's important to to point that out mm-hmm. um a- another direction that is getting a lot of a lot of discussion these days is um the the outdoor industry and outdoor experience it is um, you know, we'll call it what it is. It's very monochromatic. It's very white. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of efforts to try to get people of color involved, uh, some really good efforts. Um, So, you know, when you ask about the future of this type of thing, we're we're really going to have to, I think, intentionally try to make it more diverse and whatever that looks like, I'm not sure of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it involves cultural shifts and changes and embracing new things. Um, so I, I think a lot of that is yet to be rewritten. I think there's a lot of potential for it because I really do think wilderness and the natural world is a tremendous resource for us from a, from a stress management and from a spiritual formation perspective and not a lot of people are familiar with it in that context so i do think there's a lot of potential for it but what it looks like i don't know
1: right um well kind of what you mentioned at the end there you know there's lots of potential in this field where people haven't previously seen the connection between nature and spirituality or you know nature as a unifying tool as a unifying resource so for you personally or for what you know of in this field what does research field research look like in establishing that connection
2: yeah so one of the things that some of my students and I've been looking at recently is the role of nature in stress and stress management so you have this concept of mindfulness and when you combine principles of mindfulness with outdoor experiences, um, you get this concept of, um, it's in, in, um, in Japan, they've been doing this for hundreds of years, and it has a, a name, Shinrin Yoku, which translates as forest bathing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's, it's basically just going out and experiencing nature uh, in a mindful way paying attention. Um, And we have been looking at how the human body and specifically indicators of the stress response respond to these experiences. So you can measure things like heart rate and heart rate variability. You can measure blood pressure. We've also looked at Uh, Other stress markers like the amount of the stress hormone, cortisol, and saliva. Uh, We have these devices for measuring brain activity. So we can look at the different uh, types of brain waves going on uh, under certain conditions. So there are a lot of variables that you can measure and it gives you a way to quantify the experience of, of being outdoors. Um, so we've been able to, to demonstrate that it, it does affect you physiologically, and even just going out for as little as 20 to 30 minutes and getting away from human-caused noise and environments uh, as little as 20 to 30 minutes can actually start to have a positive effect on some of those stress markers so that's encouraging. And on, on, on one hand, it's great because you can quantify those effects, which I think is important. But I don't want to, to miss the proverbial forest for the trees. It, it's all about the experience, too. And I, this is what we call anecdotal evidence. But I know when I go out and spend time outdoors. Uh, I come back better and I, I feel better. And um, I think both of those approaches are important. One of the things that we're we're going to look at this coming academic year is people's attitudes toward nature and how that might affect some of those stress markers. And it, it's like this. Um, you, being outdoors is is good for a lot of people and and we can quantify that by taking these measurements, but there are some people who don't have a very good relationship with the outdoors and they're scared of snakes and bugs and bears and, and whatnot. So, we're going to do some of the same approaches, but we're going to have a screening question at the beginning and ask people what their existing relationship with the outdoors looks like. And it's something, you know, if, if they avoid it at all costs, um, if they're uh, skeptical, but willing to try it or if, you know, on the other end of the the spectrum they get out and spend time outdoors anytime they can uh there's a chance that those attitudes are gonna uh have an influence on how beneficial and therapeutic it actually is for you uh so we're going to be looking at that um this coming fall
1: so do you have any tactics or advice uh, for somebody, especially somebody who might be more skeptical of the wilderness or more skeptical of going out in nature, have more of a fear factor. Do you have any suggestions for what they should do? You know, you think about going out in the wilderness for the first time, going out in, to a nature park for the first time, you know, especially if you're skeptical, you just kind of walk out there and be like, okay, I'm here, I'm ready to get fixed now. Um, so, what, what would you suggest for them as they, you know, might attempt to try this?
2: Yeah, I think it's important to start out small and take baby steps. Um, obviously, somebody that's skittish about spending time outdoors, you're not going to take them on a week-long backpacking trip right mm-hmm. off the bat. Um, so I, I think it's important to, you know, like I said, to, to start small and probably go with somebody. Go, go with somebody that's familiar with an area. Um, you know, nothing really tough or strenuous, um, and, and just get it in small doses to start with and, and then maybe start increasing, the the level of experience from there, you know, turn a a 30 minute walk into a couple hour hike, um, go to more remote places, um, Maybe start to to do things um alone uh in a safe area that's known and predictable um i, I think there's a lot of value and um in in validity in solitude and that's that's one of the principles of um forest bathing and, and wilderness experiences is solitude. So I think that's important. So I think just start start small, start slow and uh, experience. And I think one of the best uh, selling points for this is just experience and, and get out and see for yourself. And for most people, they do have a very positive experience with it. And it's something that they continue to seek out and look for opportunities to, to do it. Um, surely there are going to be others who is just not their cup of tea and, um, that's fine. Uh, I think most people that start out in that boat would be surprised that there's some benefit, I think, for everybody, regardless of your, your, um, preconceptions. So, I think the big thing is just experience and get out and, and see for yourself and get from there.
1: Definitely. Um, so kind of shifting gears here. How does an elevated view of nature as revealing a spiritual reality? how does that change the way that we might view nature or the great other or ourselves?
2: Okay, so there are a lot of different reasons for valuing the outdoors. Um, You obviously have the anthropocentric approach that everything in nature is there for our benefit, for humans' benefit. Uh, It's there to serve us. Um, You also have the biocentric viewpoint that all of life is special and deserving of value and protection. And then you have the eco-centric view that it's not just the living things, but it's the non-living things too, the water, um, the air, the soil, other elements of the environment. It's all one big system that has value in and of itself. Um, And then I also think, somehow in there, you have this, this, um, idea that it, it, it does benefit us in a lot of different ways, uh, physically, materially, but also spiritually. And like I said earlier, I, I think that one of the issues we have with spirituality and and connection with, with each other and with, um, With the the great other, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say God. Um, It's the the tradition that uh, I come from. But connecting with with God is sometimes hindered by the things that we have around us, uh, the schedules, the the technology, and it's only when we sort of unplug from those things and get out. Does our mind really clear and allow us to to have those experiences, if that makes sense? Yeah. So it it plays an important role, and um, in, in that context, it, it's really hard to have those thoughts and those conversations and those experiences with uh, the mental clutter that we. Constantly have um, noise is a good example. You know, if you're constantly surrounded by traffic noise or music or other things like that, it it just makes it really hard to quiet the mind. So I, I think it plays an important role in that respect.
1: Absolutely. Um, so particularly with the tradition, the Christian tradition that you belong to. Um, have you experienced any kind of critiques of pantheism or how would you respond to somebody that might have that critique of connecting the earth to spirituality?
2: Yeah. So I, I think my early development, uh, my early spiritual development, I'm not sure I would call it fundamentalist, but it was pretty, pretty strict and conservative, Um, a great deal of skepticism about um, having discussions about nature and spiritual formation. Uh, I think some of the messages I heard early on were, yeah, that's that's a slippery slope toward, um, you know, back in my formative years uh it was new age philosophy and you wanted to stay away from all of that new age stuff and um just just a lot of skepticism and um a lot of hesitancy to to talk about things like that um i'm not sure that we ever really referred to it as pantheism but I'm sure that was part of the, that, that was one of the uh, concerns about new age philosophies was that you were going to um, gravitate toward pantheism. Um, I think having those discussions today, you you have to, you know, you have to define, well, what do you mean by pantheism? Or um, some people are wanting to compare pantheism with panentheism and and things like that. Uh, and having those discussions, and and those are really more philosophical discussions. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> I don't have a, a a strong background in in philosophy. Um, but some of the people I read today, um, these things do come up. Um, I think you always have to be careful about you know drawing strict lines and putting people into strict categories and boxes uh, based on the use of terminology. Um, so I, I think there's some some value in having those discussions and uh, what they look like in other traditions and what they look like in our own traditions.
1: Absolutely. Um, so where do you see the future of this research going? Obviously it's kind of a new field connecting Nature and spirituality, nature and stress management um, so what what do you think that looks like going forward?
2: Yeah, I think there in in one sense there there's a huge need for it, and that need is only going to um, increase. I think one of the things that our current circumstances uh, have shown us. Uh, these current circumstances, being uh, a global um, a, a pandemic with the coronavirus, and having to uh, shelter in place and exercise physical distancing, is it's created the opportunity for a lot of people to stand back and and sort of take inventory and and ask the questions, you know, what really is important to me and what do I value? And um, it, it's an opportunity to, to, to ask those questions. Um, one of the things that I've really depended on these last several weeks is being able to get outdoors, even if it's just in my backyard or a walk in the neighborhood, being able to see green and to see flowers and to hear birds. um, It's been reassuring that, you know, everything's still there. Um, Everything's going to be okay, uh, whatever that looks like. Um, Everything's, you know, operating. Uh, Nature's taking care of itself and um, everything's going to be okay. So it's, it's been important for me. Uh, for those reasons, and I think other people are experiencing that too so I hope if if nothing else um it causes people to value natural places and they're gonna you know given the opportunity they're gonna advocate for the conservation and protection of natural areas uh that we need these places we need these places for therapeutic. Uh, purposes, we we need them for um, having, you know, conversations, and I don't know what other people's experiences are, but some of the most meaningful conversations I've ever had have been outside with other people uh, around a campfire uh, and those types of situations. So, you know, I I hope we continue to to value the natural world for experiences like that. Uh, And it really does serve a a purpose. Uh, As far as distant future, you know, who knows? Um, It opens up the discussion for a lot of other things, um, like sustainability and um economic development and, and things like that. I I think looking big picture our current rate of consumption and resource use is is not sustainable. And if we keep going at it at this pace, then we're eventually going to use up most of our natural resources. Um, maybe we'll figure out how to start curtailing some of that before it gets really bad. Um, this is surely going to be, probably pretty far into the future. So we're not talking about our, our experience. We're talking about our our experiences. Um and who knows what that's going to look like. Um, but still a tremendous need for it in these conversations.
1: So as we close, do you have any suggested resources for somebody who's interested in this kind of thing?
2: Yeah, there are a lot of organizations that promote, uh, getting, getting outdoors, um, you know, just local things, hiking clubs, outdoor clubs. Um, that's a a really good place to, to plug in and, um, to, to sort of weigh it in if you're, if you're hesitant. Um, there are other, um, Groups that sort of explore this wilderness spirituality and uh, a little more uh, a little uh, more depth and um, uh, I assume that you know social media can help you find those those types of things um, this organization this project that I've started called Carolina Wilderness Renewal that's one of the goals that I have for it is just creating an environment and opportunities to, to get outdoors and experience, uh, the, the therapeutic aspects of, of nature, but also creating, uh, um, an environment to, to have discussions with other people and to, to hear about others experiences and and, and talk about big picture types of, of things and, and connect with each other and, and you know, connect with this, this um, idea of experiencing something bigger than ourselves. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities out there.
1: And where can somebody find your project or any of your other works that you've put out over the years?
2: Sure, thanks for the opportunity for the shameless self promotion. <laughs> so, I have a website and it's just Carolina Wilderness Renewal.org. And, um, of course, I have a, a Facebook and Instagram and Twitter presence, and, and all of the links can be found through that website. Um, also, contact information. Uh, One of the things that I've started to do, uh, I've only done a few, but just half day and full day workshops for people, primarily one of the the target audiences is people in helping professions, Uh, things like education and healthcare and public service, uh, military, all of those all of those pursuits have some degree of stress. Um, and I. one of my goals is to, you know, all of those professions are really important and they're involved in helping people. And uh, it, it's really a concern of mine that, you know, if if the helpers can't take care of themselves, then they're not going to be able to. To, to help others. And it, it's sort of doing that to to keep the helpers in the game and being able to do what they do best. And, um, I'm, I'm pretty clear that I'm not a therapist and I'm not a counselor and a lot of people, you know, just need some experiences and and they need to be able to, to get a glimpse and a taste of, of nature and how therapeutic that can be. So that's that's the primary goal of this project.
1: Awesome. Well thank you so much for uh, having this discussion with us this morning and uh, look forward to hearing more from you.
0: As we close this episode of Holy Ordinary, I hope that you have found a uh, cause for reflection and deeper learning about the connection between wilderness and spirituality. I would just like to remind everybody that wilderness is not a mere refuge, but it's a reminder of who we are. The winds whisper the tragedies and triumphs of our ancestors. The hardwoods shelter us from storms. The streams give us life, and the grass coddles the soles of our feet as we trot on the path to the future. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you again next week.